You're listening to Radio Primavera Sound, proudly presented by Cupra. Welcome to the Weekly Review, the radio show in which two adults try to keep up with contemporary pop culture with the help of a bright young mind. This week we'll be primarily talking about music, since we've received many prime releases like Animal Collective's Time Skiffs, Black Country New Roads, Ants from the from Up There, and Mitski's Laurel Hell, our 80s indebted album of the week. For her cultural exchange, Marvi has been shaking her head in disapproval of the NFT craze for ugly paintings and shall, and shall tell us why she has beef with them. Let's kick off with a bit of Charlie XCX and her friend Rina Sawayama. My goodness, Charlie XCX really knows how to get people in a good mood. Uh, here with this massive tune where she's also trying her luck with uh, Two Step, Ben. Love it. Can Charlie just not resist being excellent at everything that she puts her fingers on? You, Mars approving of this. I mean, you, you put so many negatives into that into that question. <laughs> I couldn't work out what I should actually say. It was like yes or no or yes. Or I don't know. Like, can she not resist being not like? Uh, anyway, it's great, isn't it? She's the best. That's the conclusion. Ma, do you have a newfound respect for me now that two step is is fashionable? I always respect you, Ben, and your music taste. <laughs> okay, <That's>, good. <laughs> except Thank you. your jokes. You don't respect your jokes. <laughs> no. I actually, I forgot to tell one. Uh, no, good, no not allowed. <laughs> not on air. <laughs> God, I, I, I entered dad joke territory. Like I, I, I've told you many times, I teach uh, tapas classes to American students. You know, they're young university students. They're 19 or 20, whatever. And I always think I'm being really cool if I sort of drop like a Kim Kardashian reference in, uh, or, or a Kanye reference. And they look at me like, this is such a boomer. And it's like, these people aren't Just interesting to us. Just about the tapas. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Stick to the tapas. Talk about tortillas and things rather than... How old are they normally? I, yeah, between, I think, 19, 18. You know, it's like, I think they're all in their first year of college. Uh, and uh, they come and do like two or three months over uh, abroad, you know, to learn some Spanish and pick up some culture in Europe and stuff and uh, they're they're an incredible group and I'm always like trying to name drop I'll, I'll take my little Bluetooth speaker and I'll play some Kendrick Lamar and <laughs> and you know and then it's like oh yeah yeah this guy's really cool but as soon as I open my mouth and try and seem like relevant <laughs> ah, the, 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 the the silence that I get from that's one hit sound daddy-o <sighs> we'll be getting down with the uh, 
with the beats. The other day, I even <laughs> met uh, this Italian teenager who looked a lot like Timothy Chalamet, and he was like 21. God, lucky sod. And we were like, <laughs> and we were, you know, doing the exchange of, you know, talking about trap music and stuff. And I'm like, well, you obviously must love, uh, not because of trap, but uh, you, mu you obviously must love Tyler, the creator. And he didn't know who, he's like, who? Huh? I'm like, what? What do you mean, who? And he, he knew, you know, it's not like he lives under a rock. This is a 21-year-old Italian kid who, you know, like most of the 21-year-olds nowadays has access to Instagram and internet. And he just did not, and he liked rap music, like early 90s rap and stuff. And he didn't know who Tyler, the creator was. And I was like, oh, am I already like getting that old or that dated that my... my Pop references are not I hope in sync. not. That it would make me old too. Yes. <laughs> I don't want that. What's it, Mark? <laughs> That's my whole job, being young. <laughs> I cannot lose that. Exactly. <laughs> did, did you get this Italian's details, Johan? We might have to, you know. Yeah, I want to sort of keep him close to make sure, like, okay, I want to know what you're listening to and stuff so that, you know, always surround yourselves with young people like we do with Mark, <laughs> keeping us on our toes. And Mark... Uh, I didn't. I was trying to segue no, into this, segue but I can't. Too, too early. Mar almost had a go at me because I had <laughs> yeah. little, a few kind of critical things to say. Not that many about our album of the week, Mitski's Laurel Hell. While touring her previous album, Be the Cowboy, which I might add was Pitchfork's number one album of 2018, she announced an indefinite hiatus, and she took a much-needed break. When she finally got her drive back in gear, she must have found it through a since a lot of this album is directed to her intense relationship with her career. Um, what did y'all think of this? Well, I, th I think it's absolutely, I, it's probably possibly my favourite Mitski album. Mm. And I, it reminded me a lot, certainly in the early uh, on days of Faith by The Cure, which is one of my absolute favourite yeah. albums. Another really, really sort of like dark, yes. dark synth album from a band that were absolutely fed up of everything. And I quite yeah. like that. Um, and I think uh, particularly the first half of the album, um, songs like uh, Working for the Knife is such a good song. And it felt to me very late 20s, early 30s, which is what Mitski is. But none of us are. Um, because... <laughs> Because it, it, because we no longer work for the knife, you mean? <laughs> no, but what we I mean do. is, like, it really made me feel like you know that moment where you get to your late twenties. You've got this to look forward to, Mark. It's it's, it's awful, and <laughs> and you suddenly suddenly realise like, what? I, yeah, what actually am I doing? Like, what? What's what's my plan? What am I doing here? And like that kind of like energy of the twenties of your twenties goes, and you start to and you know you, you've done a few things. You've had it's not like you have got a bad life, but you're just like. Oh, okay. Well, what, 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 what am I doing? And I thought um, working for the knife really, really brilliantly summed that up, and it kind of made sense because you know that she was thinking of quitting music because mm. it's that kind of there is that kind of disillusionment to it, you know. Yeah, that's something that uh, must strike. Like, not many young twenty-year-olds conquer success on that level. Like Mitski has been very successful with her music mm. career. I don't know how high her ambitions were, but she's, she's you know, she, she's she supported Harry Styles. <laughs> it means like... No, she's, she's going to. She's going to. Ah, sorry. Okay, but uh, but that's that's just a joke. You know, I mean, she's been critically lauded. She's made a name for herself in, in the music industry that, that kind of counts, you know, where, where she's critically loved, but as well has a very uh, she, loyal fan base. She's like the most asked person to bring to Primavera Sound. Oh, they're always, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, when you go to Primavera on Twitter there's always someone asking like bring Mitski announce Mitski already I'm going to come to your headquarters and kill myself <laughs> in front of you if you don't bring Mitski and it, and she's not coming to Barcelona but she's going to LA I think uh-huh she's been okay so she's on the LA she's, edition she's at the top of her 
well, she's always at the top of everything, but she has a huge like audience fan or whatever you would call it. Yeah. But for instance, Mara, in your case, right? I mean, a lot of the pressures that 20 year olds deal with, uh, there's also something to add, which is, uh, oh, by the age of 30, you should be married. You should have kids. Stuff like that, you know, that, that, that that's just like everyday normal pressure that I always hear people who are like 28, 29, when they're, or when they're about to hit 30, it's like, oh my God, there's all these things that I haven't realized. In the case of Mitski, at least she's ticked off in the bucket list. Well, I, I've been creatively successful with my music. She's classically trained in conservatory and stuff. So obviously, mm, and I might add, she's half Japanese and we know that it's a cliche, but Japanese, if you have Japanese parents, uh, usually there's a lot of pressure to mm, be good at what, what you have chosen to do. So she's proven that. But at the same time, she, all of a sudden she realizes, damn it, the, the way of having this musical career, it's very stressful, having a tour, having to be amazing all these nights in a tour and this, that, the other. And if you add into that the usual peppering of the, the, the everyday or mundane pressures of, yeah, having a family, having a kid, uh, I don't know, having that kind of security, it's an interesting point, which I am so gladly passed. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm, in, I'm, I'm that, the, the, now I understand when they say 40 is the new 20s <laughs> mm-hmm. all of a sudden it's like you don't give a toss about everything <laughs> but I was, the, the thing about Harry Styles I wanted to come back to very briefly because I think that's actually I know you're making a joke but I think it's actually really important because she's gone from I don't want to make another album mm-hmm. I don't want to continue music to I'm going to like support Harry Styles and I think this album fits perfectly between those two points because there's some of it which is just like you know, I don't like this. I don't. I don't like what I'm doing. I'm not happy with what I'm doing. That's kind of like work, working, working for the knife. And there's some of it which is like, but actually, I'm going to make really, really big pop songs. Um, and the things like the only heartbreaker, which is oh, love me more, which are like these massive, massive pop songs. And she's got it's a very interesting point. It's like exactly halfway between not wanting to do it and wanting to be the biggest thing in the, in the entire world mm. which I think is fascinating to see someone kind of like draw between those two levels which another reason is kind of why I, I thought it's a bit like Faith because by that point The Cure were kind of getting quite big and they yeah. were getting really sick of it but they still made these incredible tunes maybe not so poppy but um, I'm, I'm sticking by my comparison it's because <laughs> it's unfair that's the unfair thing that I, I get from all these artists who, who, who complain about the way success works because there's all these all these expectations. Once you are that kind of that, once you reach that kind of success, where you've got agents, uh, promoters, managers, like asking you, "Come on, come on tour, come on tour." There's money to be made. You got to do it now. Now that you're hot, okay. because there will be a time when you won't be so hot. You know, no, no one will be paying, uh, so selling out shows. You won't be selling out shows within minutes. You know, you'll, the, a lot of artists fear that on the horizon all the time that's another extra pressure well this is why actually I know this is something we're going to be talking about later which is Black Country New Road mm. I was really glad in a way that their that their singer basically said no I'm, I'm kind of giving it I'm giving it a break because can you imagine the pressure they've come up with their second album it's getting critically acclaimed everywhere everyone's loving it a lot of people are saying it's, mm. it's really really good it could be the breakthrough moment and the pressure then is to go on and, and do it and tour it and do all this kind of thing and he said no that he can't and I'm really again I'm really pleased that he that he did that it makes me feel a bit fatherly you know yeah. because it's like i mean you know it's slightly glib but think of all the people in music who've been absolutely sort of screwed up yeah. you know by relentless touring and relentless pressure and that, yeah. that, that, that kind of thing you know and imagine and as as a sort of father i mean my children don't 
make music, but like if they did, you you could imagine you'd be like, no, just just drop it. It doesn't matter. Just and I kind of like feel really glad he's done that. And I also feel really glad that Mitski kind of felt that she could take take two years off and come back with exactly exactly what she wanted. And I think she's really like reaping the rewards of doing that. You know, yeah, of being like, no, this is this is what I'm going to do. And then like the fact that she's supporting Harry Styles again feels very much like her decision you know i'm yes. sure like i'm sure her management were pretty pleased when she said she was going to do it but I, <laughs> i'm absolutely you know you you know because of what she's done what she you know because of what she's saying on this album you basically know that she's doing exactly what she wants to do which yeah. i think is fantastic yeah i feel like it's the whole thing about mitskits about being kind of relatable in a sense that not other celebrities are you know she has a lot of pressure from all these people we said and she still does whatever she wants and she when you see interviews with her she talks like i don't know ev- every famous person is a person but <laughs> i don't know she she feels like it's unrehearsed and it's herself and the most uh, attractive thing about mitski is her lyrics and and you can see like it it's like she allows you into her brain and and her feelings and and you see like a natural thing in that like i love pop music and i love um when charlie puts out an album or rina sawayama but it's a different kind of pop it's like you want to dance to that and mitski albums always makes you think and makes you feel like oh my god she's reading my mind or she is making me think about this thing that i didn't want to think about and now she's putting into words what i was feeling i don't know she she's amazing and the thing that i can see she is the best and and nobody can top her is that she makes like 80s music that some it's very easy to make 80s music sound like tacky or something like okay we've heard that before move yeah. on like the weekend album i felt that a little bit like okay that's been done i'm yeah. a little bit over it yeah. but in this case uh, well maybe i'm biased and i love everything mitski does <laughs> but i was like yes it's like that song love me more or something like that it's completely 80s yeah. and 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 i was super into it and i was like yes i'm gonna put that on my every playlist i have well i thought it was really interesting i read an interview with her and she was talking about basically she went back to the 80s because she she, she saw it as this time the last time that everyone's like exuberant and going for it and that kind of thing which is funny because like I remember the 90s, uh, the 80s, excuse me, and it was like nuclear paranoia and stuff. It was like, oh my God, we're all going to like get burned in a big nuclear war and it's going to suck, <laughs> you know? And it's interesting that someone, she was presumably born in ni- 1990 or something like that. Uh-huh. Like, presumably, like she, she kind of looks back on the 80s with this, uh, I, I just found it fascinating that with, she has that kind of view of it. Because there kind of was that, you know, listening to like Duran Duran, but at the yeah. same time it was a lot dark and i think she's got both sides of it you it's, know it's like the the 80s marketplace that is what left archive in you know the old advertisements of cars of fashion and stuff it's like what this age of like this new glamour and sports sports cars and miami vice and stuff that's what the marketplace re- remembers of the 80s but as you said in the 80s there was a lot of dread there was a lot of political correctness in uh, regan's america uh, mainly 
sign off from reading about. Ah, never mind. Um, <laughs> and uh, so th this nostalgia for the '80s usually is is based on the video games, the films that are left. You know, not the actual harsh times that people usually tend to uh, <laughs> try to forget. Sucked. You know. Well, I mean, I'd say that. Obviously, I, I was kind of young. You, you were young. Yeah, you it was, know, it was, like, there was that, that that paranoia was not wasn't wasn't yeah, great. You know. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I loved the uh, the only heartbreaker, which reminded me a lot of. Uh, I Drove All Night, the Cindy Lauper cover, um, as with Love Me More. I love that whole sort of 80s kind of, it's not so much dance, it's more like drive your car into the horizon and let the wind blow your hair. Like, yeah, it's going to be, life is going to be awesome <laughs> where the sun sets. Um, but the rest of the album is intimate. This, uh, it's, it's wine. I thought it was wine mom core at its finest. <laughs> it should have had a limited edition release sent in a wooden case with a bottle of Chianti and a scented candle and maybe a burgundy colored rolled up rug to lie down on. And if the wine spills from desolation during there's nothing left for you, the stain won't be so hard to cover up along with the tears. <laughs> but it didn't, I didn't find it. It's, it's a short album. It's only like uh, just over 30 minutes. And uh, the slower, mo intimate moods out seem to outweigh the, the the popular, upbeat ones. So this gave me a sense of a lack of cohesiveness, which I don't know if it's a critique. It's just that <coughs> that feeling, you know, for such a short album. Mm. You see, I I found that interesting because I know exactly what you're saying. Like you do get the like the really slow, slow songs. Then you get like going into the you know love me more, which is like really, really upbeat. Mm. But for me. It did feel cohesive, despite all of that, despite kind of like going over, you know, very much sort of very downbeat to very upbeat. I found it kind of, there was something about it, something thematic, because even like uh, Love Me More isn't a happy song. Mm. You know, it, it's fast, but it's not happy. It's like, no. I need you to love me more. Yeah. Um, or The Only Heartbreaker. They're, they're very sad songs. So even like whether they're slow or fast, I kind of felt the melodies kind of brought it it together yeah but then again maybe that i'm just saying that because it's she's someone i really like and this album i really really liked it's like no 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 like you know how you like justify anything it's like no it is cohesive like the fast <laughs> yeah, works with the slow yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. anyway yeah and the album opener which is uh valentine texas based on a real place uh remind it has that david lynch kind of vibe it reminded me a little bit of song to the siren the Tim Buckley song, which was covered by This Mortal Coil with Liz Fraser on vocals. So that's, once again, I'm getting the, rem the the comparison with, we were speaking about Kate Le Bon's Pompeii last week, which also harked uh, back to that 80s 4AD type sound. Uh, I liked it, liked that very much. I like the mood, Working for the Knife, uh, which we mentioned earlier, Ben, could be a country song. It's a lament, and if you arranged it with a banjo and sang it with a southern drawl, it could pass as one of those country laments, uh, like a Tim McGraw song. With look, I'm gonna I'm gonna sing it with a Tim McGraw kind of voice. <laughs> Damn it, I can't remember the melody. I used to think I would. No, oh god, oh god. hang on, I, uh, go for it. Come on, go I, it's because I can't remember the melody of the song. Hang, hang on, on. We'll have, a, we'll have a little listen to it. Let's do it. Hang That's on, it's next now playlist. We, Rob, you can you play Valentine Texas by no, Midnight? No, working for the knife. Oh, sorry, that working the for the knife. Sorry, it's the next song. Let's listen to it. Uh, like it's on the playlist.
You see, if you sang this, I used to think I would tell stories, but nobody cared for the stories I had about no good guys. You know, the no good guys, you know, the country songs are always about the bad man walking into town and stuff. I always knew the world moves on. Damn it, I'm, I'm fluffing this up. Yesterday when I was doing it at home, I actually nailed this a lot better, but I'm getting all nervous. I always knew the world moves on. I just didn't know it would go without me. I start the day high and it ends so low because I'm working for the night. See, more or less that. It could be a Johnny Cash song. Yeah, I was thinking it's more Johnny Cash well, than, than the Tim McGraw. Yeah, I don't know why Tim McGraw came to mind. I've never listened to a Tim McGraw record. I've listened to more Johnny Cash. Um, and uh, there's that other song, Should Have Been Me, and the closing track, That's Our Lamp. That's, that's pure Our Lamp is, is a perfect title for a song. That's Our Lamp. I love the name of that song. Sorry. Yeah, what did you understand from That's Our Lamp? That confused me. I didn't Isn't know. it a breakup thing? Huh? That's our lamp. I think so. It's about relationships, certainly. Right? Isn't it? Is it like a saying in English? That's our lamp. No, no, no. But it's like, it's like, okay. If you... In what situation would you say that's our lamp? When I go to Ikea and I think, oh, that's the one. That's our lamp. Yeah. But who would R <laughs> be in that situation? Our lamp. Right? When you, you, what, when you, you move out of house... Move move in with a, a, a couple for yeah. the first time, yeah. right? It's a big thing, buying stuff, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You go to Ikea and you buy stuff, right? And then you buy something, you buy something like a lamp, yeah. right? Bedside. And then you get it home, and like every time you look at it, you think, ah, oh, that's our lamp, and it's like it's like your but relationship. Is it, is it the thing, or did you just think all of that I, by I just, the title? I just... I, I don't know. This, the title just sort of did it to me. Maybe, maybe I'm being retroactively um I love influenced. that you thought of... All of that. No, but that. it's like when he else? When else would you say that's our lamp? No, no, I, I get the idea. Yeah, yeah. Now, now that you've explained yeah. it, yeah, I, it I totally thought it would go sense. that way, but I couldn't crystallize that wonderful thought that you've just yeah. shared with us. And and then you know, going on you, that lamp, which represented the start of your relationship and moving in together and all that kind of thing. Then you yeah. look at it towards the end, you're like, oh, that's our lamp. And, and like you're you thinking, what? Well, rid of it when you break up. Or who's going to keep it? Yeah. Or you know, do you even want it anymore? You know, that lamp which has lit up so many happy, happy days. Oh, damn it. Ben's on fire. Eh? We're no, Mitski's on fire. Well, this is, yeah, but that know. interpretation will is... put you in her team. We took a road to but write the, the song. And as That's a lover of ABBA, I imagine you love those two songs. Oh, God, yes. That's our lamp. It shines like a big moon. We may be ending. I'm standing in the dark, looking up into our room where you'll be waiting for me. Thinking that's where you loved me. That's where you loved me. Oh my god. Oh my god. I love Mitski. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna cry now. Yes. Yeah. Can we stop the show and cry for a bit and come back? <laughs> <laughs> Tito, bring me some tissues. Uh, well, should we should we should we talk about Animal Collective? Yes. When we're talking about new, new albums, otherwise we're all gonna. Okay. We, we started crying about 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 <laughs> lamps already. Well, let's use the next song on the playlist as a separador. Animal Collective have returned with their first album in six years since they released their highly experimental Painting With, an album described as unlistenable by the NME. <laughs> the main story surrounding this album is that they've returned to a popular sensitivity 
abilities they so successfully conquered with Meriwether Post Pavilion with a bit of the acoustic and sunny vibes of fields or sung tongues. Overall, there's a lot of vocal harmonizing between Avitar, Panda Bear and Geologist, which is one of the traits that keeps getting them comparisons with the Beach Boys. In fact, this album constantly evokes the kind of morning light vibes like the ones you enjoy when on holiday in summer, not when you have to leave the house early to go where they serve bad coffee. After a decade going further into sonic psychedelic experimentation, maybe a reaction against their crossover success which forced them into very large festival arenas, they now sound so confident and comfortable, blending the weirdness that characterizes them with an album that Hollywood music supervisors can actually pick from when they make zeitgeisty soundtracks for buzzy shows about young quirky people falling in love in Silicon Valley. Uh, like, for instance, the song we just heard, like, uh, We Go Back. Perfect movie music. What y'all think of Animal Collective's Time Skips? I think that rarely has a band been as frustrating as Animal Collective. Because <laughs> they walk the line between annoying, between mm. being annoying and being really enjoyable, and sometimes within the very same song, as we just heard on that song. If you get further into that song, there's all these like vocal effects, and they like singing half a line each and like putting loads of effects on them. And it's just on the verge of being really annoying, but isn't. And I really enjoyed it, actually. And they, they can be like utterly brilliant, and they can be utterly utterly shit sometimes within the very <laughs> same song and also they really make me think they should just get on with it sometimes just bloody oh. get on with it you know what i mean like oh, for yes. example for example what what is it? um string with everything which is a brilliant song from the new album but like i tried to put on the radio the other day and like i was faced with like two minutes of like arsing around at the start and I was like, oh just just get on with i it. I have so little patience and tolerance now for the arsing around when when albums open with these long one minute and a half intros of and I really just want the groove to kick in. Right. And this has happened with me with Animal Collective many times, especially when I've seen them live and they do the. The, the, that which is kind of their trademark no they'll 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 reform the s songs that you know on the album but they'll totally re kind of do it in a weird way and adding these long intros and long outros and it's cool when they segue into other into other songs on their track list and their playlist no of what they're performing to create this um, continuous soundscape um, of a show but sometimes it's like if you're not in the mood it's like, oh, come on, get into the groove, please. I'm, 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 I'm getting restless and I'm hungry and it's <laughs> nine o'clock at night and I still haven't had a torretno. Uh, but, but yeah. When they get it right, they're so good. Exactly. That's the thing. And it all, is, all is forgiven, basically. And when, they, when the song has like popular songs, like on Meriwether Post Pavilion, no? you'd have a little bit of the woozing and hazing, and but then, boom, it would lead to a song like... Um, my, My girls, girls, for yeah. instance, no, and stuff like that, and it's like, okay, so the payoffs are worth the the patience, and this one in the time skips, I think it it successfully does that. There's so many bright and poppy moments. Prester John, which is a mixture of two songs, uh, uh, an avatar and a panda bear song that they wrote separately. They fused it together, and oh, I can't stop listening to it. It was one of my favorite tracks released last year, if, if they not the. They remind me a lot of the Grateful Dead. Uh, yeah. who are a band that no one outside the outside of the United States of America likes at all. I just, <laughs> I I just don't get them. They're, they me utterly neither. puzzle me. I, 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 it's, it's something that you keep reading about in all these magazines like Mojo and stuff, Grateful Dead, and you see the photos, and it's like, wow, this it must have been something special, but I just can't even... I once asked like this American person I know who's obsessed with the Grateful Dead about it, right? and I was like, look, why doesn't anyone outside of America like the Grateful Dead? 
And possibly I didn't phrase the question very well mm. for a Grateful Dead obsessive because he mm. went on the defensive. Was like, yeah, they do. Look, they play really big concerts, and like, sort of didn't really answer my question. Um, so yeah, I, I, hugely. So they no, they still the the thing still tours the Grateful Dead kind of circus and stuff, and they they congregate all these thousands of all these old hippies who go there to trip out, and and it must be. A, I think that's that's probably why it hasn't been so popular out of the US because they have the experience of going there. It's like you, the Burning Man enthusiasts. They're like, swear it's the best festival ever, even if they haven't been to another festival. Because I imagine it must be pretty fun to be there when you're there and if you can afford it. Um, <laughs> coincidentally, everyone who goes to Burning Man seems to be a, a broker for... <laughs> for, for Goldman Sachs, which is well, never mind. Hey, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. You know what I reckon is very big at Burning Man? NFT. Oh. Very good segue. Nice. I mean, I did do that as a segue, but I reckon. I at think the same we time. should stop every time we make a good segue, <laughs> congratulating the other person to, like on segue because little. then it breaks the the whole dynamic. Burning Man is selling sculptures, paintings, and NFTs. There we go. It no one's surprised. It? Yeah. No, it is very well. I've never been, uh, but it strikes me as being very NFT. Mar, you've been big fan. You, big fan. You, you're you're a big fan of NFTs, I think. Yes, and Burning Man. Oh, very good. No, but I, yes, I think I have still the rage from last week, and I was thinking where I can dump this rage. The, the, that I still have from talking about podcast pros, oh, um, uh, onto who who could possibly help 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 he hold yes words um, who could possibly <laughs> words. Some hold, of them. hold these rates that I have inside? Well, mm. people who are into NFTs, yes, and who are possibly also men. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, who's got the money? Who's got enough money to spend on stuff that's useless? Okay. Okay, but the first thing that got me into all this debate that I have in my head and the, the rates that I have going on is that I remember having a discussion with a friend of mine for a long time. I remember every time we met, we would end up talking about this and we were obsessed with the idea that maybe taste wasn't a thing and we all just made the concept up. Like maybe there are no... Uh, maybe we just convince ourselves collectively what is good and what is bad and there is no not a thing that we can call taste like when sometimes when we're watching something or listening to something and we have no other reference no one else in our group or that we have read about and um, have seen it or or listened to it and we have no reference of what other people think we don't really know exactly what to make of it like we're not really sure if we like it or not because we don't have other people telling us their opinion so we were like maybe maybe there is no such thing as taste like we're very easily con convinced about things like if someone tells me they love that i'm gonna probably like it too or or dislike it if i d dislike the person but hmm. then uh, we, yeah, we were on on this de debate for a while and we were leaning more towards the idea that maybe taste was something we made up it, it's not it's not a thing but this debate has finally come to an end like i i have something has clicked on my mind that <laughs> Taste does exist. Obviously, it does. Um, everything we said prior to that was a lie. And and the very well, the very thing is, it taste does exist because of NFTs. Like the the so obvious lack of taste 
on NFT, the world of NFTs prove there is taste outside. So that 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 just come. I I just finished the whole thing that I had going on on my head because there's people that clearly don't have it. So it means it has to exist as a concept. Because have you seen the NFTs people have been buying? Like have you? A couple, at least. Yeah. I've make, seen a few. Yeah, yes. they're horrendous. Yes. Like I, I, and I've seen a, a people on Twitter tweet about their freaking NFTs all the time, and they're always so bad. And all of them, I haven't seen any that I would think. Yeah, of course, digital art, digital art is a thing, and and people have gotten so good at it, but not on the world of NFTs. It's like it's on a different universe. Like it's. Especially, especially, and ah, oh, I hate it so much. I want to hit something. Those freaking ugly monkeys. Every celebrity has as a profile profile picture on Twitter now. Uh. Like they're so ugly. I I hate it. I, it's not a lack of taste. It is. It's offensive. It's like I'm personally offended that these monkeys exist. The Board Ape Yacht Club. Yeah. Let's give it its. Uh, yeah. Let's give it its full title. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. Shit, isn't it? What and do they call it? Sorry. Board, oh, board Ape. Ape. Board, board Ape, Ape Yacht yeah. Club. And the thing that got me this this. Uh, mad. Lo- sorry, it looks like Jamie Hewlett's like one of his gorillas characters. Exactly. Oh, a little exactly. Bit, no? My With point. A sailor hat yeah. and stuff. But in a tacky, horrible way. Yeah. Um. So a few weeks ago, I saw a very disturbing clip that has been haunting me for. This week, <laughs> the, of the Jimmy Fallon show with Paris Hilton, yeah. in which it looks like a dystopian movie. It looks n- oh, not no. like not real. It looks like a weird parody, like David Lynch style, yeah. um, in which they discuss about these ugly ass fucking monkeys, and they bought for <laughs> thousands, thousands of dollars as the audience is forced to clap to what they say, what while being held at gunpoint, because who would clap at, at Paris Hilton and Jimmy Fallon being like, yes, I bought this monkey, haha, oh yeah, I bought one too, and then the audience is clapping like, oh no, that, that, that is not real. I, like, I... I already I don't want people to come and explain me NFTs. I already know what they are. I so a TikTok that explained <laughs> it perfectly when a girl summed it up as you must be a man. And then and then you say, hmm, I'm not satisfied with having the easiest course of life in human history. I think I would also like to own something that doesn't exist. And then you give some other person, who I guess doesn't have to be a man, but probably is, thousands of dollars, and they say, You own this thing, wink. And you say, are you sure? And they say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's a post-it note that proves you own it. Oh, and that's, that, that is an NFT. So I don't need to know anything else. I have all the knowledge. But my point today is not what <laughs> NFTs are and why people are into it because it sounds stupid. But why are they ugly? It's, if you want to play that game of buying imaginary art on the internet, mm-hmm. why does it have to be ugly? So it's more embarrassing to defend them publicly? Like, I, I'm i so lost. Uh, it's like a battle that you want to lose all the time. Like, what? How <laughs> can you win at something if you have an NFT? No, clearly you're, you're on the losing team all the time because they're not even beautiful. You could say like, oh, you know, I was so touched by this digital art thing that is worth a thousand dollars, but you cannot be touched by a monkey with uh, sunglasses and a... I don't know pirate hut. It, 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 it doesn't make sense. So apparently, yeah, the, the NFT community of the monkeys is mm. called the Borda API, and there's like 
10,000 other official apes, which I think gets the purpose out. Like if there are so many, it's not a limited edition. Like you can get a lot of them that the value doesn't work like that, but I'm not going to be the one that points that out. Um, but it's basically an exact template down to the shadows, the four, and everything that just changes like colors, or you can put an accessory on it. So it's not like it requires a mind-blowing software to make them. So that's why they are so expensive. No, they, they are just like a, a thing I, I could do with Canva and and whatever, or Paint Illustration, or some very easy program on my computer, and then sell them for a fortune. Because Jimmy Fallon paid more than $200,000 for the monkey. In real money, not in cryptos. I think in crypto, oh, but it's equivalent yeah. to... That is, it is now. Even Matt Damon's advertising it on mainstream television, oh which God. really gives me the willy-nillies. It's like, damn it, they're really trying to convince us plebeians. Sorry. Exactly. I'm going to go to that point. And Paris Hilton has paid $300,000 for hers. And at the top of the market thing of this monkey, gorillas looking stupid monkey, <laughs> Someone paid $69 million to get... $69 million? In the imaginary currency, but it would be $69 million. So, so what? Someone already said it on Twitter. Oh, you're talking about that one? Oh, right, I get you. No, 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 no not the board I read it club, on, the on an article. I was yeah, no, the, the, doing the, my research people, on it? apes. Beeple? No? Yeah, the, the currency of, of NFTs. I don't, it's yeah, Bitcoin. No. No, no, not Bitcoin. Oh, they have a yeah, uh, something oh, right, like that. But it would be equivalent to sixty-nine million, whatever. Yeah, um, but someone already said it on, on Twitter or TikTok or something somewhere on the internet that I'm all the time. Um, but <laughs> like when I'm explaining this, when I'm saying sixty-nine million dollars for a gorilla's looking like character, uh, it feels like the world of NFTs and all of that really makes me feel like I have premature dementia. Like, none of this can actually be happening. What is crypto? Why is a cartoon monkey that looks like it's made by a, by a Windows XP worth hundreds of thousands of dollars? Like, it doesn't make sense. It clearly is something made up by my dementia. And, uh, and it has no other explanation. Like, ha who decided this is the narrative we're living in? It's it's like they lost control. It's it's truly a glitch on the simulation we live in. Like going back to what I was saying at the beginning, that in the um, live show, the talk show with uh, Jimmy Fallon and Paris Hilton, they they were just showing the pictures and and having the weirdest conversation, like cursed conversation about like, oh yes, I love mine because it has hard sunglasses and my daughter has hard sunglasses. So I, I relate to the monkey. And then Paris was like, yeah, mine has like this leather jacket and I love it. And and that was everything. I uh, it, it, Obviously. It's, it's almost like seeing two celebrities saying, oh, I just bought this new Porsche Cayenne. Oh, I got it in yellow too and yeah, stuff. But at it's least like, that does something. Yeah, you know at least I mean? it's, it's a yeah, car. But it's like, Talking about things that regular people can't really afford or But do you have, know what I loved about, about Paris Hilton and Jimmy Fallon exactly. is that basically to talk about it, they had to pull out like skanky printed copies yeah. of that. Like, uh, but it's so, oh, like at least if it was a car, it would be like, okay, celebrities flexing of their wealth. But in a car, I don't know, you can touch it. You can, but that is a paint image you paid a lot of money for. Yeah. But obviously the whole thing is not to flex on, on people because people don't care about their monkeys, but it's to attempt to get them to jump into their collective so mm. they 
them as already millionaires can collect more wealth and then when people jump into the train wagon of NFTs, they can sell them and and make massively profit of these people who who just went in on for them and and <laughs> these people will lose all their Yep. All the money because the value will drop because there's too many people buying now and they will be just more rich. So that that's the definition of a pyramid scheme. Like celebrities are on a pyramid scheme and they're trying to bully us into being into that pyramid scheme too. Like and the, and it's not even a fun one. It's a a, 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 a pyramid. fun pyramid scheme. Yeah, maybe there there was something about like yeah, if we all get these super cool trainers that have wheels on it and we can all run around in trainers with wheels and um, we oh. will that would be a good pyramid scheme, but it's a pyramid scheme about reselling ugly art online that's not even real. I I don't get it. I'm just very disgusted of seeing two millionaires promoting this passive uh, wealth accumulation mechanism, and then but the yeah, it's super insulting just to see that. But you could tell during the show that they felt what they were saying was stupid. You could tell they knew what they were saying sounded like the, the most stupid thing ever. But the worst part is that even if they knew that they thought people would be even more stupid and eat everything they set up, so mm. they, they they have no shame. And, and I, I'm <laughs> very mad. And I, I'm talking too much about NFTs and I didn't want to. And I just wanted to come here and say they're very ugly and whoever doesn't agree um, it means they have no taste because taste exists <laughs> and now I know it because NFTs are ugly. QED. Where? QED. That's something you can say at the end of uh, of, uh, of an argument. What okay. is QED? Quad erat demonstrandum, of course. Of course. <laughs> yeah, I was, saying, I was going to say that. It basically now. means that's what I wanted to, to demonstrate. Uh, so we never heard of QED. All right. No, no, no. no. We're, we're plebeians, Ben. We're yeah. uneducated media plebeians. 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 <laughs> uh, we're, 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 see, we can't even pronounce these words right. <laughs> we're we're medio. We're we're part of the mediocracy. <laughs> do you know how, exactly. <laughs> do you know how you could become part of the uh, elite if you could buy this NFT that I've just minted? Ten thousand euros just to you. Oh, yes. Let me just reach into my pocket. Oh, yeah, the imaginary money. Now we're gonna be sixty-nine million imaginary currency. If you money. would, yeah, that'd be nice. But I mean, uh, th look, many, m many are. Uh, this whole thing on the ugly monkey made me look up, look out something on ugliism in art, feismo. But mm, mm -hmm. yeah. Go on. Well, because many artists have chosen to portray the grotesque as a means of shaking up the bourgeoisie, bland and mannered taste, always focused, which is usually focused on the beautiful, right? In his Human, All Too Human, a book for free spirits, originally published in 1878, Nietzsche wrote about the art of the ugly soul, that too many limitations are put against art when it is expected only to be a vehicle of expression of the balanced and regulated soul. As in plastic arts, there is also an ugly soul next to the beautiful soul in music and poetry. And that art is usually the one that has obtained more powerful effects, has stirred up more souls, moved rocks and turned animals into men. I don't think the monkey qualifies no, for this, this. not at all. I think that is referring to when Picasso did very realistic paintings and then he moved to Cubismo and all of that. And it's not canonically beautiful but it's touching i think the monkey has to die but now and we have to we have take, to bury it have well, to 
um, eat the rich, and that's it. But like, uh, for instance, graffiti, which was looked down on by appreciators of academic art, graffiti art thrived among the young, and a lot of this, a lot of these NFT digital arts seem to sort of strike a chord with younger generations. They see it as a form of expression. In the case of graffiti, well, it was expression in the streets. Now this is a way of like sort of sticking their finger to like Sotheby's to the other big. No, uh, no, 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 no. Because like Sotheby's are doing yeah. like NFT auctions and that kind of as thing. as well. Okay, uh, yeah, nah, they've gotten in on the game because they're not, they're art dealers and they invented the game. You know, that's a lot of powerful money and lobbyists. They bought the game. They bought the game, literally. But whenever you speak to young NFT enthusiasts, they're always like, look, this is a way of democratizing the, uh, or of offering new accesses for young artists to penetrate the, the art world, shall we say, or, or, the, or access the pockets of those willing to invest in art to... You know, the great buyers of art are usually oligarchs or drug dealers or people who need to launder money. Well, not only, but, you know, there's a lot of money in art and it's a, and those are usually some of the best clients. And then people like Jimmy Fallon and Paris Hilton. It's a pyramid scheme and I'm against it. But I will give an exception. After all you said and <laughs> uh -huh. the ugliism and stuff, I have one exception. Just the person on earth is allowed to have an NFT and that is Lindsay Lohan, who <laughs> owns an NFT that is a furry version of herself. She posted on Twitter and it's truly a uh, furry, you know, the, the people that dress up as, as yeah, animals. Furry, yeah, furry, furry, yeah. And it's a furry version of herself. And that's her NFT and that's camp. And I would also like to buy an NFT that is a furry of me. So I will give you that. I, that's my only, the only food I would step on NFTs. And ugly <laughs> and everything you said. But I whoever like, made that NFT has has my respect. I, I like the idea of all these wonderful, talented young graphic designers like finding a new outlet for their. Not a single talented graphic designer is into NFTs. Really? Clearly, no. But I'm sure they must be reading up on it. I'd, I, I, I don't know. They they seem because it's it's a new uh, way for selling their art. You know, they they they've always been limited to commercial work or getting into some indie gallery or or luckily getting to do some amazing cover art for their favorite bands or stuff like that. Wow, there's many other cases, but I think that it. It would be nice if there is going to be so much new money coming in through crypto into this this new market. Uh, it it would be nice that these young artists who sometimes get uh, their their artwork gets stolen, you know, photograph people using photos without crediting them, that kind of stuff. I don't know. I kind of hope there's a little bit of that, but usually with the fairy tale, there's always a lot more horror stories of of an, of this new yeah this new pyramid bubble scheme. Mm. Shall we listen to a song? Yeah. Right. I thought I thought this is one just just for you, Mark. Uh, beach slang with bad art and weirdo ideas.
that was Beat Slang with Bad Art and Weirdo Ideas. Fitting song for this, uh, our thoughts on the NFT movement, non-fungible tokens. Uh, earlier in the show, we were talking about Mitski uh, and how she's dealt with the, um, the exhaustion from the musical career and touring and stuff. So uh, that was that's had a happy ending. But sadly, it is not uncommon for musicians to find the touring lifestyle a bit overwhelming and take a step back. Black Country New Roads charismatic vocalist and guitarist Isaac Wood has decided to leave the band, having expressed that he suffers fear and sadness from the pressures of having to perform. We wish him all the best, as we hope the band will continue to evolve because they are one of the most, well, I find them one of the most interesting outfits of late. They have just released the follow-up to last year's debut album, and it's titled Ants From Up There. It's not an easy task. To, I mean, the album does feature Isaac on, on vocals, his last vocals, uh, but it's not an easy task for a band to find a replacement for someone as charismatic as Isaac would because he had such a strong personality as a lyricist and performer. Um, on the opening track, he may remind listeners of Jarvis Cocker with his pitch and wry observations. He sings lyrics like he yelps, so I'm leaving this body and I'm never coming home again, which makes this album, a hell of a send-off to have those musicians letting loose, accompanying him in his farewell. I wonder if they were aware of his decision when they were recording the album. Do you have any, have you read anything of this, Ben? No, I just, I just looked into it. I mean, they must have had, uh, they probably had some kind of idea that he wasn't feeling, mm. feeling great about it. But, and they seem to be very, very supportive of him, supportive yeah. of everything that, that he's doing, which is really good. And it does genuinely seem to be, kind of, you know, friendly and, and they're all, you know, um, behind him and his decision. But they're going to keep on going and he seems to be entirely behind their decision to keep on going. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, that's an interesting one, like, because one of the things I, I didn't, I'm not a big fan of Black Country New Road. The first, well, the first album because I found, I, I found the talking. I don't know, it just didn't quite do it for me. So I was really glad when they kind of he started singing, basically. And that, it just seems a bit of uh, a shame, really, that they're not going to be able to tour it. And I wonder, like, if, when they were making that oh. album, you know, they'd have been thinking, "Well, this is going to like the big one. We're going to be touring these songs. It must be weird, like recording an album and that, that's it." You know, it's it, just like, "Okay, well, no, we can't play this. We're not going to play this. We're just going to respect you, the singer." You know, will they be able to do a Pink Floyd? Remember, they started with Sid Barrett, who was, you know, has been very, he's a very cherished figure in psychedelic rock, but they managed to get, go even bigger uh, when they brought in, damn it, I've gone, uh, not Roger Waters. Dave Gilmore. Dave Gilmore, damn it. Oh, my God. <laughs> Wake up, Johan. Um, uh, New Order were able to. Uh, morph from the ashes of Joy Division. Well, the ashes having you know the after the death of Ian Curtis, and and they made an incredible career. But this is interesting because Black Country New Road are going to be expected to play this incredible new album, and whoever steps in, if it's either one of them who just sort of steps in and sings as best as they can in the in the well, how though? It's 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 such a personal way of singing. It's not like a standard kind of song that it's like. For instance, when you see Peter Hook singing Joy Division songs, uh, you he gets away with it, first of all, because he has that baritone, a bit like Ian Curtis, and he bellows, and he has the authority because he was there when they wrote those songs. So even though Ian Curtis might have written the lyrics, he was there in every moment. It was part of the creative. So if one of the Black Country members um, stepped up and tried to sing in the style of Isaac Wood, uh, it, we, we'd certainly appreciate it, but... 
but at the same time, I, I, if it was me, I'd feel a bit of a phony, no? Uh, trying to sort Yeah, of well, it, it's hard, isn't it? Because, like, I don't know about you, but whenever I uh, sing, try to sing, like, some of those songs, I tend to sing a little bit in their style, if you know yeah. what I mean. And because, probably because I don't have a singing style myself, I just sort of sing a song. So it'd be, I think it'd be very hard to, like, sing that song and not, on some level, be like, oh, I'm singing it like him. And then, if you try to go the other way, you're going to get really, like... It'd be really hard to do because you get a bit caught. You're like, well, I can't sing this way. I can't sing it that way. And then it's not 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 not, not natural. Blimey! Can you imagine like being on a massive festival stage, and like you're about to sing the song, suddenly you're having this crisis of confidence. You're like, how do I sing it? What do I sound like? That would be. And there are a lot of people asking um, if they are actually going to be playing Primera Sound this year. I, we we don't know. As far as we know, as far as we know, they are. Yeah, they're they're, still... they're continuing, and the tour they're going to. I guess they're going to meet their their touring agenda. And they cancelled some some shows yeah, to sort of in the US. regroup and 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 you know get back at it. But yeah, yeah, as far, as far as we know, it's an interesting situation. I mean, for the, look in 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 the past, uh, band, bands which were bigger in a bigger stage when they had to replace a singer. Uh, I, I always think of Queen with Paul Rogers. And uh, that w- that sucked. But when they brought in Adam Lambert, that is, <laughs> I'm sorry, but that sucked even more because you're trying to replace Freddie Mercury, another example of an incredibly charismatic singer who, you know, Queen. It's a it's a it's a it's a each member put incredible output into the composition of the songs and stuff. But Freddie Mercury commanded those songs and those vocal performances. So no matter how great a singer, how flamboyant you are, how cool your moves are, it's like. If you've seen the footage of Freddie Mercury, it's like, dude, I'm getting shortchanged here. And I think it's going to... Oh, I'd be panicking. I mean, even if they got Jarvis Cocker like to amicably say, look, I'll step up to it because I'll, you know, people will love to see... I don't know. It's just this weird kind of entertainment thing where Jarvis Cocker fronts Black Country New Road just for this tour, you know, just as a one-off, an artistic thing. It would make sense vocally, I guess. And but uh, Are you aware of the band The Dead Kennedys? Yes. Well, they they split up in I don't know uh, early eighties or something like that, and or late eighties anyway. And basically, ever since then, you've had like the band on one side and the singer on the other, and they absolutely cannot stand each other. Just oh. like Laureja de Van Gogh here in Spain. Really? Yeah, yeah, but Amaya Montero never returned. Yeah, but they cannot stand each other, and they just got a look alike Amaya Montero for the other side of the band. She doesn't, lady. It looks Le- doesn't look alike look, in the in the voice. In the, the voice, voice is department. exactly the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly the same. I was with them not so long ago doing a thing for a, a music platform. They're super nice, uh, yeah. and I always felt bad because I used to trash talk Olaureja on on MTV. You know, I just did <gasps> not like the the music, but then. What happens is you end up meeting them and they're the nicest people ever from San Sebastian. And I love San Sebastian. So it's like, oh, I take back everything I've ever said. And it was really nice to see them again. And late, and it's true. They got in later. It's like, it's like look. That's, I think that's the move to go for, to get someone that sounds similar. To yeah, them. but La Oreja is like a super commercial project shall we say yeah. with like some of the most successful charting songs so that's like look let's let's just pander to the people who buy our records which uh you know that that was easier for them but black country yeah. new road move in a more yeah, experimental true. artsy kind of place well, that, that might work for them because i was thinking of mercury rev for example they yeah. lost their singer after their first two albums yeah um and 
it kind of and the single was great the first single was great but it kind of didn't matter too much because they were they were kind of quite weird anyway so you'd be like okay well you know they're bringing on something like very 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 different and it kind of worked because they were, they were more arty you know it wasn't like freddie mercury leaving yeah. and getting yeah. someone else in and then they they went had an entirely new phase you know they got in well they didn't get any new singers they started singing themselves and yeah. they produced dirt dessert a song and it's like uh, wow. yeah and that was it Boom. so does 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 the ex-singer of la Reche van gogh continue to tour and play the song yeah sing, uh-huh. both of them do. amaya montero she has a very successful solo career and she does obviously and she, she plays does, yeah. Oreja, la Oreja de van gogh songs i think in I'm her not. concerts which one would you go to see if they were both playing the same night both 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 no both playing the same night I love my mom and my dad. Oh, come <laughs> on. Ah, oh, the best answer ever. Uh, that w- what was the other one? Ah, it's it, the, the, what Black Flag obviously had loads of singers. You know, from Henry Rollins to even Mike Vallely, who was a famous pro skater. Yeah, Mike Vallely, pro super famous pro skater, uh, was a, one of the biggest Black Flag uh, fans, and because he sung in bands and stuff, they like tried him out, and he's and I think he's still the Uh, the con- the the actual frontman for Black Flag, or he has been for a couple of tours, um, but another one came to mind. That uh, damn it, yeah. And who would you go and see? Amaya Montero or La Reja de Van Gogh? I'm 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 not leaving until I get an answer on this from someone. Uh, <laughs> I, I love them all as people oh, and stuff, Christ, yeah. but it isn't my cup of... Their music isn't my cup of tea, That's I'm afraid. That's a red flag. You cannot say that out loud. But I did, Everybody loves Laurejo de Van Gogh. <laughs> of your generation, but um, I came from... Look, I used to loathe Amaya Montero's style of singing because it was so edulcorated and... Esta manera de cantar. <laughs> it was really... It would really crawl under my skin. But again, I interviewed her and I... Tried to hit it off with her, but she was having <laughs> oh, that because <laughs> all of a sudden, like this girl is cool. She had like this. this she was like this. She she was almost like a drunken pirate, and she wasn't drunk, but she spoke like this kind of barroom draw, like ah, yeah, like I said, she was like the typical sort of strong Basque woman, like who like doesn't give a toss about anything. She's like super happy with her life and stuff. And it's like Amaya's cool, Montero. Um, I'm I'm going on her side. She sounds like a drunken pirate. I'm not when she sings. She has this voice, oh, but. What? Uh, when she sings, she sings with uh, with her uh, yeah. her voice, like you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but 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 that's the funny thing. She's singing all these tender songs with this like, <laughs> oh, and then and these really sort of uh, pappy lyrics like, and the the springtime falls. I'm I'm doing a weird <laughs> kind why of. Why do they hate each other? Or is that no? She long? she was she had her strong personality and the other and so she was the only girl in the band, just mm-hmm. as ladies, right? With five guys, five Basque men. Basque men are very men. I'm going right. to leave it at that, right? Very manly, very mm-hmm. stuff. But Basque women are also very strong. You know, cliches, I know. I'm always going into cliches. Mm-hmm. But still, they were the typical example. And um, uh, and most of the songwriting, shall we say, was done by two of the male uh, members, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, I guess because she was the star, you know, she was, the, I don't know, the typical interband kind of things. You know, they, they started really disliking each other from touring so much and having all this incredible success. Well, yeah, typical story. Inclusion. No one is answering my question, so I'll have to. I'll have to go investigate. <laughs> you would go and see neither. You love them both equally, which isn't quite true. Anyway, do you know the time? Our time has has come to an end. The time has come. The time. Okay. Yep. Yeah, uh, so let's leave with uh, chaos, space, marine. Uh, cut from Black Country, New Roads, incredible new album. Thank you for listening.
leave it all behind The war is over Lift the anchors, set an open course For New York state lines I think of all that went wrong The sailor boys light up in song And they sing of London Love they made there, will it really last? Anytime What's that that you said to me? Oh, I'm a chaos space marine, so what? I love you, darling, will you take my metal hand? It's cold, in time you will find These things take up space inside your mind 